Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast, Episode 17. Hi, this is Bob. If you've been a listener to Sarasota Stories for a while now, would you do me a little favor? Go to our website, sarasotastories.co, scroll down and enter your best email so you will know when all our episodes will air. It helps us know who's a fan and how many folks are listening. I certainly appreciate it. And now, on to today's episode. They are common misconceptions. The opera is too stuffy. It's too expensive. You have to get dressed up and... You can't even understand the words because it's all in Italian, certainly not English. None of these are true, as I found out. Attending the opera is affordable, a little more than going to the local movies, and you can come as you are. So if you are ever curious about what going to the opera really is like, you won't want to miss today's episode. Hi, I'm Bob Williams. I believe if you truly want to better understand your community, to build personal, professional, and even lifelong relationships, then a willingness to hear each stories is an absolute must. That's why I created the Sarasota Stories Podcast. It's a podcast dedicated to helping you get connected a little deeper with those living in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview business leaders, civic leaders, artists, authors, entrepreneurs, physicians, philanthropists, and others who are making a positive impact in the greater Sarasota area. Today, my guest is Richard Russell, General Director of the Sarasota Opera. After a very successful career as Citigroup's Vice President and Global Webmaster for e-commerce serving 30 emerging market countries in Latin America, Asia, Central, Eastern Europe, and Africa, Richard eventually came back to his first love, which is opera. Since 2012, Richard has led the Sarasota Opera and increased individual giving by over 50%, more than doubled its endowment by 80%, and completed its world-renowned Verity Cycle. Mr. Russell managed the construction and fundraising for the new Steinwalks Artist Residences for Sarasota Opera, which encompasses 30 units of housing for up to 70 artists. He also negotiated and managed the purchase of stock of over 30,000 opera costumes, representing 135 separate productions to increase Sarasota Opera's inventory of costumes available for its own use and for the rentals to other opera theater, and film companies. In this episode, you will learn where Richard's love for opera originally came from, why people still hold several misconceptions about attending opera, performance milestones that set the Sarasota Opera apart, 
the first performance you should see if you are new to the opera, and much, much more. I'm so glad you joined us today, and as always, it is my hope that you will listen, learn, and connect. Richard Russell, General Director of the Sarasota Opera, welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. We had quite the uh, the struggle getting you on the podcast here. I don't know if the technology was on my end or on your end, but I love and I hate technology. <laughs> it's always a challenge. And given it's always our, a challenge. Our current times when we're dealing more with it and, and relying more on it, we you know it's hard hard to tame. <laughs> my goodness, it is. Yeah, I would much rather do this face to face, but the technology has definitely fully become a part of our lives. Well, for our listeners. You've been in this industry for quite a while now. You've had a long history with it. Where did your first love of the opera begin? Uh, I love telling this story. It was I had a really wonderful fifth grade teacher, uh, a woman by the name of Annie Evelyn Ryan, who was a music teacher who loved opera. And I grew up just outside of the New York City area in a suburb of New York City. And she would teach us an opera. The opera was Carmen. And then she would bring those who were interested to New York City, to the to the Lincoln Center, Metropolitan Opera House for a tour. And it kind of uh, piqued my interest. So I asked my mother, who was a musician, although not a classical musician, she was a jazz singer, uh, yeah. to take me to the opera. And I started going when I was in the sixth grade. Uh, was a subscriber to the New York City Opera and just developed this love and passion for opera. Well, that's very cool. And and you have quite the voice, is my understanding. You actually worked in opera for a period of time, correct? Well, As a I, performer. I was. I, I was a singer. That's, uh, you know, that love of opera was also, I also had a love of singing. So I just, you know, that was what my career. I pursued a career as an opera singer for a number of years. Didn't quite turn out the way I wanted, but one of the places I did sing was here in Sarasota, in Sarasota Opera. And that's where my relationship with the company started 33 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So so how long did you sing for Sarasota Opera? Well, I sang here for four seasons. Uh, yep. I sang through 1993 and then, um, then moved on, did some regional work outside of Sarasota, but ultimately made a decision around uh, 1998 to to no longer pursue this as a career. In the meantime, I had become a banker. I was working for Citigroup, uh, and that was a, a lot more lucrative. And so I uh, <laughs> decided to suspend my career as a professional singer. Um, but the lure of the arts and my love of opera drew me back. And so in 2005, I returned here as the marketing director. I, it, it's funny. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you, because most artists are not going to get wealthy in any music genre. And so how in the world do you end up deciding to make this a career? You know, it, I tell our singers, and this is it's a bit of a cliche, I think, if you can do anything else, do it. Um, but if you can't, and if you love performing and you do it well, then certainly give it everything you've got. But it's not an easy lifestyle. Even for those singers I know who are successful, who love to sing. I had a friend of mine who, somebody I went to college with, one of the best singers I, I've ever known. And she had a successful career singing at major houses. She sang at La Scala in the Metropolitan Opera and in Europe and all of this. But she hated travel and she hated the lifestyle of being a professional singer. And ultimately, she decided to settle down for a different kind of career in singing. 
And, uh, and it's true. It's not an easy lifestyle. And, you know, only a handful of people actually earn a living doing it. Hmm. That's fascinating. I've had a couple of, of uh, local businesses on here where it's some professions are more of a calling than it is a profession. And it's just that love that a performer has is the, I guess, just the whole scene of getting prepared for a performance, being able to work as a team with other groups or other other parts of the of the team work, working together. And then it just, you know, the I guess the, the applause. There is something about and, – and don't get me wrong. I love singing. And if I could still be singing – I would be doing it. I ended up having uh, a medical problem that required me to to suspend my career for a couple of years. I determined oh I was at an age that, uh, and it was solved. It was you know um, I had a bad reflux situation, which mm. which which causes issue with a lot a lot of singers have it. And I had to give up singing for a number of years and a career for a number of years, and ultimately decided when I was better and could restart it that it, the time had passed. Uh, but the it was a calling for me, and I was certainly willing to put up with not earning a lot of money, you know, um, dealing with having to do temp jobs and all of that to be able to pursue my my passion of singing. Um, but you know, that's that was my choice, and ultimately, you know, it led me in a different direction, and I'm thrilled with the direction it led me to. But, Wonderful. Um, but nevertheless, it is a lot of our, you know, artists, our actors, our singers, they have to put up with a lot to have a career uh, in this in this field. Well, let's talk about the opera a little bit. I'm sure that, you know, like anyone else, you are trying to continue to promote the opera. You're trying to get the new listener involved, the new patron involved. And what are some misconceptions that new newbies would have about the opera? Yeah, I think um, there are lots. And I think there are a lot of things, we call them barriers to entry, things that that, uh, discourage people from coming. First of all, um, one is that it's expensive. And it is certainly expensive us to put on, but ticket prices are not all that expensive. Our tickets Mm. start at $25. The most expensive ticket I think we have is you know pricey it's 150 dollars but you know what um it's also that expensive to go to a, a concert any kind of concert to go to a ball game to go you know to do a lot of things so it's not ridiculously expensive the other preconception is that you have to be fancy and you have to dress up and you all and that's not true at all we encourage people to come as they're comfortable and lots of the people who come to support us and and go to our Uh, performances are from all walks of life. Um, There are people who just developed a passion for it from hearing the music. There are people who uh, never heard it as a child and came to it as an adult. And then there are other people who grew up with it, with their family and all that. So, and the other thing that I think is a real um, turnoff for people, or at least discourages them is the language issue, because our performances are in different languages, uh, generally Italian, French, German are their primary operatic languages. But for all of our performances, and just about any opera company I know, frankly, in the world these days, they have the translations above the stage or sometimes on the back of the seat in front of you in the in your in your language in English, um, in, you know, at the Metropolitan Opera in New York, the biggest opera house in the world. They have it in multiple languages. We have Mm. our translations in English above our stage for all of our performances. So when someone comes to a performance, of course, they come, they expect to be entertained, they expect to hear really wonderful, wonderful voices and stage production and whatnot. 
What does it take to put on a production? Because there's a lot of moving parts. And you deal, I guess, you know, as, as being, you know, general manager, you deal a lot with the administrative side of things. And then Maestro Dorenzi puts on the productions, but the two of you have to work closely together to put out a great product. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there is, you know, opera is the most um, uh, complex art form that there is, to be quite honest. It includes singers, orchestra, sets, costumes, technicians, sometimes dancing, chorus. Um, it incorporates all of the arts and that's many moving pieces are uh, what we say jokingly is that, and I hate to use it at this time because of our current world situation, but the only thing more expensive than opera is war mm -hmm. um, because it is, there are so many pieces for opera um, it, that we that we put into putting on a production. So, you know, we employ here at Sarasota Opera during the height of our opera se season, somewhere between 250 and 300 people um, just to put on opera. And, um, and that's a lot. And that's a lot, you know, it's very expensive. And it's a lot to manage. And certainly during this time, time of COVID, when on top of the normal challenges of putting on opera, we had to deal with making sure that people didn't get sick and keeping in health and safety protocols right. and all of those things. Um, it is an extraordinarily complex task. Talk about some of the, well, it seems like it to me. Um, and, and I, unfortunately, I have to confess ignorance, but this is one of the things I'm changing because I am going to become an opera patron. I really spending the time in researching what you guys are doing. I think it's a tremendous art form, something I was not exposed to growing up in the Midwest, I guess. And so since moving to Sarasota here about eight years ago, these are some of the things that I want to change. So I certainly want to come by and see, uh, see some of the, uh, the productions that you guys put on. So it sound, sounds wonderful. Talk about the Masterworks Revival Series and also the Verity Cycle. I thought that was interesting. Well, these are two initiatives. They're no longer um, active, but they're two things that really made the name of our company. You know, it's really important, I think, for your listeners and people in Sarasota to understand that our arts community here, and I'm not just talking about the opera, but also the orchestra, the ballet, the Oslo, FST, West Coast Black Theater. We, somebody used this uh, term the other day, punch above our weight. Um, mm. What we do is, is you know, world-class arts here. It's not the arts that you think of in a community of this size. And these two initiatives, the Verdi Cycle and the Masterworks Revival Series, are two things that kind of put us on the map. Both of them started in 1989, coincidentally, the first year I was here um, as a singer. They were initiatives to introduce our community to different, or our opera company, to different kinds of works. Now, um, let me start with the Masterworks Revival Series. That was an attempt by us to perform works that you couldn't see anyplace else. Mm. And most of the works, or well, all of the works involved in that series were pieces that were really significant operas that were either, you know, were popular at one time and had fallen out of the repertoire, and that was most of the case, or interesting pieces um, by, you know, another, uh, for example, we did an opera called Halka, which is Poland's national opera. And because of the language challenge in Polish and all that, it really hasn't gotten the foothold out of Poland, but it is a very important work. And it's very, I was talking with somebody yesterday, a, a Polish gentleman, and I told him we did this piece, Halka, and he was just amazed that this opera company did this this work. So that that series was 
a significant draw for opera lovers from around the country and around the world. The second initiative, which is the Verdi cycle, which is really our brand, if you were, um, is the works of Giuseppe Verdi. We did all of Giuseppe Verdi's works. Now, Giuseppe Verdi is the most important composer of Italian opera, and some would say mm. of opera in general. There are two great, you know, uh, opera composers who are extremely well known: Giuseppe Verdi in Italian opera and Richard Wagner in, in German opera. Well, Verdi was Italy's most important opera composer, and frankly, composer in general. He wrote thirty-three works. We did them all. We also did all of his non-operatic music. That wow. is an initiative that took us twenty-eight years. We finished it in twenty sixteen, but it made us the only opera company in the world to do all of these works. And I don't suspect that that achievement will ever be equaled by any other opera company and certainly not one in the United States. Why is it so difficult to put together then? Um, because there are many of Verdi's works that are an important part of the repertoire that all opera companies do. Pieces like mm. Aida, La Traviata, Rigoletto. Mm. These, every opera company has done these operas at some point and they're an important part of the repertoire. What opera companies don't always do is explore some of the lesser known works. And there were pieces that had never been performed in the U.S. when we first did them. Uh, and it was an attempt for us to explore other parts of the repertoire. And, you know, it, to be quite honest with you, you know, there's certain operas that sell a lot of tickets and the rarely heard Verdi operas aren't necessarily hmm. ones that would, except that because we had established this reputation for doing these pieces, if you wanted to see these works, you came to Sarasota to see them. And it was, hmm. an, a, it was a chance for people who loved Verdi's works to come someplace and, and see them. The opera has been a part of Sarasota for many, many years. And there was a time in Sarasota's history when Sarasota wasn't doing so well. And the opera was part of the process of helping to turn things around. Now, we're going back, I think, to the 20s and 30s. You told a story in WEDU that I picked up that the opera was kind of one of the catalysts for helping Sarasota kind of get on the upswing again. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, what I was referring to is actually in the 1980s. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Okay. By the 70s and 80s. Yeah. So Sarasota Opera began in 1960, uh, but we began at the, what is on the Ringling Museum grounds on what is now known as the historic Oslo Theater, that small theater um, where we uh, hosted a touring company and then did our own productions. And they were small right. productions, limited in scale, no orchestra. It was either uh, uh, two pianos or a um, or a, a small chamber ensemble. But in the 19, late 1970s, the company was, first of all, told they weren't going to be able to use the Oslo Theater because the Oslo was expanding their season, the theater company. Um, but they were also wanted to expand what they were doing and have a full orchestra. So they began looking at, um, at another venue. And what happened was the theater that we are now occupying, which was originally the A.B. Edwards Theater, it was later known as the Florida Theater, sitting on the corner of Pineapple and First Street, had fallen into disuse. Mm. Uh, a number of years before we bought it, it actually almost had uh, was going to be demolished. Oh, wow. And uh, there was a, a, a couple who saved it. And ultimately, the opera company was able to buy the building. Now, downtown Sarasota at that time was in pretty bad shape. There was not a lot going on down here. 
Um, I remember the first year that I came in 1989, there were boarded up shops, the, the Five Point Parks, which is Five, Five Points Park, which is right across the street from the Opera House, was right. a series of broken down, dilapidated, board down, boarded down shops. There was, you know, there was a tire store across the street from the, where the Opera House is now, there were, you know, which is, I'm, I'm happy for tire stores. They're very important parts of our economy. But nevertheless, in a downtown thriving community, that's maybe not the place where, where you want to see one. Um, and there weren't restaurants, there weren't, um, there weren't, uh, you know, residences downstairs or downtown. It was, and it was not safe. So, um, by building, by moving the opera company here, by creating a nightlife here, also at the same time, Florida studio theater, uh, was founded in, uh, in a, in a building near the opera house by, by creating this activity downtown, we reinvigorated the downtown community. Uh-huh. It caused there to be restaurants to come to downtown. You know, there were um, three restaurants downtown when I came here in 1989. Patrick's, which is still here. The Bijou, which yes. is still here. And sure. then a small restaurant that was across the street in where the library was, yes. is now. Uh, that did not exist at the time. Now, of course, we have this thriving, you know, community of good restaurants, places to live, condos, all of this. That was not here 30 years ago. And we really, I think we are not, um, uh, you know, I I think patting ourselves on the back and saying this was uh, because of the the creation of the arts community downtown is not, um, you know, I think it's the truth. I think that's we were we were the reason why this renaissance started in downtown Sarasota. Well, it certainly sends a message because when you have an opera house that that uh, takes over an area or be- becomes a part of that area, it, it certainly it doesn't fit with boarded up, you know, restaurants and all that sort of jazz. And so, uh, it, yeah, I think it's, it becomes an iconic place for to build upon. You just recently, like everybody else, went through a couple of years of a pandemic, and I've talked with several businesses that have had to do massive, you know changes and pivoting and whatnot to deal with that. What are some of the things that you did? Well, you know, it was, uh, I'll never forget, it was March 13th, 2020, and we were on a call with the city manager who Uh told us we were going to have to shut down. And we were 11 performances from the end of our opera season, which was a quarter of our season. So we completely had to shut down. We were not able to welcome audiences. And for a, you know, for a while, we didn't know when we could reopen. So that caused us to reevaluate what we were going to be able to do to um, pivot, which is a term I think we've come to use a lot right, <laughs> in right. the last two years. Um, but, you know, so we really had to think creatively to be able to do, you know, because it was important for us even if we were not going to be able to do our main stage performances to keep a connection with the community, with our audiences, we have an education program, our youth opera program. We had to find a way for that to work. So, uh, you know, we complained earlier about technology, but technology helped us for a while. Right. We were able to do our education programs via zoom. We were able to meet with audience via zoom. We took a lot of, uh, we, uh, our past performances, um, musical video from our archives, we put it online, we connected with our donors. And then once when we started to be able to try to figure out how we could do live performances, first we did some outdoors. um, And then we, you know, at one point we were hauling singers around on the back of a truck and going to various places throughout Sarasota. And then in the spring of 2021, we were able to come up with a way for us to do performances in our theater socially distanced 
so we had to limit the capacity. We, were, we you know we closed every other row. We made spaces of seats so that you know you there nobody was closer than two seats from somebody else. Um, and we were able to do performances that way. And we were actually the first opera company in the U.S. to do indoor performances because right. one, Florida was more open than than many states, and secondly, uh, we able, we were able to find a way to do this fi- in a financially responsible way. So we did that. And then this year, we, you know, with putting together some health and safety protocols, we're able to get back to kind of our normal kind of productions. Mm. Well, last question, when does the fall season begin? What would you tell the new opera grower to come and see? Well, our, we have two seasons. We do one opera in the uh-huh. in late October, November, and that's only going to be for five performances. It's a, a very charming comedy, comedy called The Secret Man or Marriage. Not often heard, uh, but it's it's a style of Mozart. It's really it's a really a, a, a funny work and a, and a really a really good music. Then our winter opera season starts in in February. We're doing four operas, Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini, Don Giovanni by Mozart, uh, another Verdi opera that we haven't done in many years, uh, Ernani, and then a rarely heard piece by Jules Massenet, and that's called Mm. Therese. It's a French revolution story. But clearly... The title, which you know, as I as I went through those titles, the probably the old the one that you recognize was probably Madame Butterfly. Sure, and, of course. And that is a great piece for people who are brand new to the opera. Um, it's uh-huh. a tragic story. It's got beautiful music. I guarantee. Well, first of all, there's a piece of music that you're gonna recognize no matter even if you've never heard a bit of opera before, you're gonna recognize it because Puccini worked in the Star Spangled Banner into this piece, but. Uh-huh. But more importantly, there's a wonderful aria, Un Bel D, which is very familiar to people from movies, from commercials that people would recognize. There's there's a bunch of really beautiful music, and it's an incredibly beautiful and tragic story. Richard Russell, thank you very much for being on our podcast. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.